This is The Instigators, presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. We are going to Thank you, RJ. Indeed, overtime is upon us here. Instigator style presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Marty, I'm Brian. And this, Marty, is going to be a little different than our daily show in the sense that we're going to dive in with guests from around the hockey world in longer form interviews, get a little more in-depth, more personal, and I dare say have a little more fun because you and I tend to do that every time out. No, it's going to be great. Now, I got to tell you, Duffer, as a goalie, when I played, I loved overtime. Did not like the shootout. So I'm glad we didn't call this the instigators shootout because I would have walked right out. Now, as a fan, I love the shootout, but this because I'm involved and I felt like my save percentage was going to be really low. I love that we called it the overtime, which uh, I think I was uh, I have a winning record in overtime in the National Hockey League. So maybe something we'll have to uh, to look at. Sabres are one of the winningest teams ever in NHL history in shootouts. And you've given me an idea to continue tweaking this show as we move forward, perhaps adding an element of the shootout week after week after week. Now, what I'm excited about out of the blocks here is the opportunity to talk to our first guest, Don Granado, head coach of the Buffalo Sabres. It's not game specific. It's not anything to do with the day to day. It's about Don himself. And I think the market has already invested a lot of their heart and respect towards this Buffalo head coach. So a lot of people have already been digging and digging and digging. But Marty, I think there's a real opportunity here for us to learn just that much more about this guy. Yeah, no, simple things like uh, how did you start playing hockey? When did you know you wanted to be a coach? Uh, family-wise, like, I mean, the Granado family is a, is a hockey family. So how was that dynamic, you know? And uh, so that will be very interesting. Now, I, I do believe that the, uh, the, the, the Sabres fan base and the hockey fan base is really enjoying and liking listening to Don Granado talk about hockey, talk about uh, other things. Like we've had conversation with Donnie about uh, multiple things, and he's always – um, very invested in, in those conversation and interested to, uh, yeah. to hear a story. So I, I'm looking forward to that and what he's going to say when uh, we come up with some really, really fun family background that, that we were able to dig up. I was going to ask you, what's his best trade? And I think you just hit, hinted at it there um, because of how you think people respond to him. So I'm going to say honesty. Like I, I really feel like he's not giving you a lot of BS, quite yeah. frankly. I think that's uh, exactly honesty. Um, he's not afraid to be calm and mild manner, but at the same point, I think he's not afraid also to stiffen up and, and really stand his ground and, and up his voice if he wanted to as a coach. Uh, and also not afraid to say, well, that didn't work. Uh, we tried this, didn't work. We're going to try something else. You know, I think he loves having to find solutions to problems uh and as a coach that's a great thing now you don't want to have any problems uh that's a lot better (laughs) as a coach but if you do have some and hockey is a game of mistakes so there's usually a lot of problems he loves trying to find solutions well this is going to be a great segue to don because the last text i received from him was moments ago saying working on internet connection might be a few minutes before we see you guys so guess what (laughs) don granado is ready to go Don, Marty, and I were just discussing some of your admirable traits 
What are you most proud of? How would you identify, you know, yourself with a certain character trait? Oh, my smile, Brian. I, I, I don't, I don't. <laughs> well, it'll surprise no one, and especially not you, to say to know that I get accused of not smiling enough. So I'm glad that one of us is carrying the smiling torch. And Marty does it pretty well too. I will frankly. carry that. I will probably carry that for us, Brian. <laughs> Was that something that uh, when you were a kid, like uh, either your parents or your siblings were like, uh, Donnie, you got to smile more or I, or it, it's always been something with you, you're just a smiling kind of oh, guy. I, I have uh, friends look at uh, a good friend saw a picture of me as probably a five-year-old. It was all of my siblings. So uh, in family, I was the only one with a serious face and they, and they pointed that out right away. Immediately they pointed that out. And I went back and looked through some pictures and uh, yes, I, uh, I always had a challenging time smiling, I guess. I smile on so, the inside. So you were the typical hockey guy that when he showed up for his hockey picture, it wasn't like, hey, here I am with a big smile. You had the tough look from the time you were five years old. No, you're getting me to smile way more than I have on average, uh, Marty. So yeah, no, I, I was not. I, I just felt uncomfortable for some reason. So. Uh, my mind is always, it seemed like my mind was always going on something else. Oh, well, that we know, and we're going to dive into that. But now you've got me thinking, Marty, and you've got me thinking of picture day on your minor hockey team and the ridiculous skating poses and all the rest of it. But you were a goalie, right, Don? I was a goalie. Okay, so, so mimic, mimic what do you remember about picture day? What was your pose? How did you look? And, and did you ever crack a smile on picture day? You know... I don't know the pictures, but I do know that my idol, first idol in hockey was Tony Esposito. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like most young kids, I, I mimicked his body language and his movements and as much as I could on the ice, in the basement, wherever we played, I would do that. Uh, then when I ended up switching to forward, it was Dennis Savard. And it's probably why I never played in the NHL because nobody could do the things he, Marty knows that nobody could yeah. do the things Dennis Savard could do. Uh, and you're trying to replicate that as a kid. It's not a, not a good path. Well, well what you know what did you catch with though, Don? Oh yeah. Left. So uh, you're a regular goalie. Duffer, Duffer is the other way around. Right. So. But which was Tony Esposito. So I had an old hockey glove. I didn't have goalie gear at that age. So I had an old hockey glove that I taped a piece of, you know, like plywood on and then wrote 35 on it for Tony yeah. O. So, wow. So I felt, I felt real close to him. Cause I, you know, caught with the right hand. So. Now you said, Donnie, that you switched from player uh, from goalie to player as, as a sophomore in high school. And uh, I mean, I, I remember playing baseball and I was a left-handed batter and I was thinking I need to learn to hit righty. I need, I want to learn to hit righty so I could, you know, switch and, and be that advanced. Now in, in hockey, going from goalie to forward, like that's almost unheard of as a sophomore. Like what, what happened then? Why make the switch then? I got sick of Tony shooting pucks at my collarbones. I, mean, I, I don't know. I'm a little older than you, Marty, but those shoulder pads, they used to oh. be a piece for goaltenders. Yep. You'd have a cat, like a baseball catcher's chest protector. And then you'd have these foam arm pads. Yep. And there was a gap right in here where your collarbone was. And he used to love to try to hit that when he'd shoot at me. And, uh, you know, that was part of it. Really, I skated a lot outdoors in the wintertime. We never it seemed like we never we were yelled at to come in the house to eat uh, because, you know, we wanted to be outside playing uh, and hockey specifically, obviously. And, and 
I, my Bantam year, second year Bantam was the first time we had two goaltenders on the team. Mm-hmm. It was myself and Joey Nillis and I, and our coach wanted to go one game for each goalie. And so I, I was now sitting on the bench for the first time for a whole game. And I was going crazy with it. And I kept asking the coach, if I can, if I, if I'm not going to play, you're going to play Joey, please let me play forward. And he's, he's, he denied me until about late December. I think we were in a Christmas tournament and we were down a few players. He probably just didn't want me to take ice time away from anybody else. And he said, you have your forward gear. And you know, we were in, we were local. And I said, yeah. He said, well, you can play forward tomorrow. And I did. And uh, had a lot of fun scoring goals that game. And he looked at me after he said, Hey, you can play forward anytime you want. And uh, I made that switch then. And, and again, I was, I played outdoors all the way up. So yeah, uh, I just yeah. had to play organized. Marty, the crazy part of this is not only does he make the switch then, yeah. he then finds a way at his newfound position to turn it into a scholarship at Wisconsin. Well, I knew the only way to go to Wisconsin was to get a scholarship. So, uh, <laughs> You, you, you know, at the time, Mellonby and, um, you know, Maley and Chelios, when I, my first Badger game, those, those guys were playing um, in the game, Pat Flatley. And so I remember watching that game with 8,000 people in the building. And, and I thought, man, I want to score in this building. I want to play right here and I want to, I want to score. And, uh, you know, I, I thought about it a lot more. I was like, there's no way to play in this lineup if you're not a scholarship. And I needed a full scholarship in my mind to do it. So, uh, yeah, a lot of training, uh, went into the next few years. I spent, uh, each summer, uh, 10 or 11 weeks up in Brainerd, Minnesota at a hockey school working in skiing. Oh, uh, I've been there. That is a, uh, <laughs> uh, that's a unique location. Let me tell you, Brainerd, Minnesota, very yes. unique over there. And you know, there were a lot of, a lot of good coaches there, but a lot of unbelievable hockey players went through that place. Yes. And, for me, that's where I learned the game, um, learned it, you know, a lot about coaching. So I was a counselor. Uh, then they actually promoted me to coaching like peewees and Bantams when I got a little bit older. Uh, so I knew I, I started like coaching that, but I got to train with, you know, the best players, really a lot of the best players in the world at the time. And uh, that helped me considerably. Now, I did a lot of research for this interview, Don. So I dug deep and uh, I realized that I don't know if it's just the way it is, but in, in this time that I grew up in and probably you grew up in, you said you're a little older than me, but still, like, I feel like it's all in the same bubble. We played a lot of knee hockey in the basement. So did you develop any skills playing knee hockey in the basement, other, either your hands or other ways to manage the game? I think a lot about hockey sense when I, when I think of that, just you know, we were, we had an unbelievable basement. It was a finished basement, but we, my parents took all the furniture out of there uh, and let us beat the heck out of each other. Down. And, and so we, the lighting was amazing. Uh, the walls were, were, were paneled. Uh, they were just had enough flex that you could throw each other into the wall. And um, it was, it was amazing. So we played knee hockey and then we actually stood up and played. There's enough room to, to stand up and bang each other around. But yeah, I'd, I'd have to say a lot of hockey sense and without question, a lot of compete. I mean, there's a lot of times I've had incredibly skilled players coaching them. And I thought, man, if this if this guy had an older brother, he'd be in the NHL um, because it was just so competitive. Did that house stay in the family name or is it long gone? It's gone about 20 years. It was a tough day to get rid of that place. But uh, uh, yeah, it was like. 
awesome. can imagine the real estate listing suggesting that it was an unfinished basement by the time you guys got done with it. So <laughs> it might have been. It might have been, Brian. I, I remember one time we had sort of carpeted finished basement in the back. There was tile and it was a whole tile area. I don't know, uh, 12 feet by 15 feet. And it was, uh, I sprayed down the armor all protectant to make it really, really slippery. Oh, I know. Yeah. And oh, you can oh. guess how many people fell on it when they went down there. My mom being one of them. Oh, no. I would stick handle pucks down there. I'd put a game on TV or videotape and I'd watch the game and stick handle and, and, and I'd armor all the puck too and it'd slide just like it was on the ice. But if you walked down it with socks on, you'd slide too. And uh, that caught a few people. So would that be where, because in my house, the basement was like the hockey room where we played and uh, my brother would take shots and the styrofoam on the cement in the basement would be all ripped apart. And the tile room was the laundry room. Was So would that be the laundry room where your mom would go down and, and slip and fall as she was going in for a, a yeah. load of laundry? Yeah, fortunately, she didn't have to go do laundry there. So she didn't go down there often. So okay. it was nice. It was, a, it was secluded enough in the back. Uh, but it was a good size area. It was more of storage that she didn't have to go down there much. Another no. thing that we did, uh, sorry, Duffer, but another thing that I did as a kid that I was like, oh my goodness, like I wasn't the only one doing it is we invented games. Like I remember we invented a hockey game that was with rackets, like either the racquetball or squash rackets, tennis rackets. And then we had a softball like a foam ball, but we had a goalie nets and we played it like hockey, but with rackets and we'd whack it around. So tell me about sock hawk. What is that? Is that a game you invented? Fine. I was just going to say, I'm just saying, I'm not getting out my sources. Talking to family members. (laughs) Now I'm nervous. You got too much scoop. That game got pretty, that game almost uh, borderline violent there. Uh, but we had a small ball. It was a soccer ball. And then we just started kicking it around downstairs and uh, decided, Hey, you can use your hands. You can hit, uh, you know, so, so it, it evolved really quick into a pretty competitive game. It was, it was a blast. We, we played that one a lot. And, and did you keep stats on it? We did. We had everything. We had scoreboards and anthems before the game and uniforms. And yeah, it was a, it was a form formal deal was that just your, you and your siblings or were your friends were your friends afraid I, to come had, over to the house yeah my one of lots of friends at the house uh and they sometimes you know you, sometimes you felt bad for them because some some groups of friends weren't quite as competitive and they'd get run over and uh but but my best friend was a hockey player all the way up and, and he was a kid that his parents want actually probably wouldn't let him out of the house unless it was with me he's like because he, he just got in trouble all the time. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, my, my uh, great, great friend, competitive as could, you could find. And he was always over and always playing with us. And it was uh, made it that much more fun. You still have those connections and friendships? I do. I talk, that friend, good friend is Brian Kraft and he runs a fishing resort up in Alaska. Oh. It won uh, Orvis resort of the year a few years ago, a beautiful spot. And uh I do talk to him a lot uh, still. And, you know, I've had, I got lots of uh, actually really good friends from youth hockey and in, in high school that uh, I still keep in touch with. And they're still my, still my best friends. They're, they're an awesome group, but he, he, we really grew up together. He's right down the street and as passionate about hockey as, as I was, and we were as a family and he was in it with us all the time. 
So you went from goalie to player, and then you had all this fun times in the basement, learning about competitiveness and fighting your brother and sister and friends or whatnot. And then at some point you decided, I'm going to go into coaching. Um, did you always know you wanted to be into coaching? And, and how did that switch got made? Yeah, I think I felt it before I knew it. Uh, if that makes any sense. Like I, I just, when I re, you know, recollect, I was just doing it um, and, and enjoying doing it, you know, whether it was uh, running a youth hockey practice. And then I started a hockey camp right when I finished college. Uh, and, and did that for a few years and actually was hired to my first coaching job because two of the kids I had in it, their father bought an expansion team in the USHL and just called me out of the blue. He said, you don't know me, but you've been running hockey school. My kids have been in for a couple of years, uh, and off the job. So yeah. I, and then when I went to Brainerd Marty and, and they hooked me up with coaching, you know, I was a counselor for 12 year old kids to start or something like that. And, uh, just took a passion right there for um, I was in the process too. I had to switch from goalie to forward. So I had to study the game. I had to, you know, no one was going to help me become better to accomplish, you know, what I wanted. I actually had to keep my goal of playing at Wisconsin quiet because people would have laughed at me at that point. So I just kept my mouth shut and knew I had to train harder than anybody else uh, to get to that point and really picked up a lot of nuances to, you know, development and, uh, and coaching, you know, through that process. And I enjoyed it. What do you, it was fun to get back after that really. Yeah. I, what do you remember? Like that, just the idea of somebody reaching out to you out of the blue and giving you that opportunity in the USHL, like what, what was that first game behind the bench? Was that green Bay? It was green Bay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was. Green so Bay. what, 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 what was night one for you in green Bay? Like, I mean, what, um, a lot more nervous and nerve wracking than night one in the NHL. I mean, by, by miles, um, because you just, you didn't have experience in hindsight, you know, of, of years or decades at, I guess, but, um, but yeah, it was, you know, you didn't quite know the processes uh, at that point of moving a team along, of developing a team. So a lot of unknowns you had, everything was a hunch, I guess, you know, at, at that point. And I can remember the first year I convinced our owner, I, I asked him, I said, you know, John, we're probably not going to win the first year. And he's a very enthusiastic guy and he animated guy. He's, he's just jumping around. He's well, Don, what do you mean? Why can't, how come we can't win the first year? And, and I said, well, John, they have, I mean, we're drafting last in the, in the USHL draft. There is no expansion draft. So we have no access to <clears throat> veteran or experienced players, which the league historically, you know, you win with experience. I said, why don't we just, control our culture, take all young kids so we can mold them and then really shoot for it year two. And so he was okay with that. He, he, he grabbed onto that plan and we had 23 first year players and we had our first year. I remember our record. We were nine wins, 38 losses and, and some odd amount of ties, whatever the difference makes up 48. And, and uh, there were people that were really impatient with us. And I remember at the end of that first year thinking, geez, my future as a coach is riding on a bunch of 17, 18 year old kids right now. And I want to coach. And uh, they came through. We were 51 and 17 the next year. We won the national championship. We won everything, we won the league, the national championship. And then we repeated the next year. Uh, so we did in three years in green Bay, we won two national championships and it was, 
it was a tough road the first year. And you were, again, you're coaching on the hunch of, I think this is going to work. I know this is going to work. And I had to sell our owners on just plugging through that first year. And it was not easy. I made the mistake of, I talked to our primary owner was a guy, 36 years old. His father was a very, very wealthy guy that owned a hotel chain and he'd fly in for games. He, I didn't include in that meeting. So he didn't understand what was going on. I remember we were three and nine. We lost the game in overtime. And he, he says after the game, I want to talk to coach downstairs. And he laid into me for about 20 minutes of why our team can't do this and you can't do that and you can't pass and the other team does this. And I just shut my mouth and listened. I mean, there was no way I was going to convince a guy, you know, that had been so successful creating a hotel chain to, to pay attention to me in the process of it. I didn't include him at the outset. Uh, so I just bit the bullet and we persevered and, uh, he liked what we did. Needless to say, in, in the end result, he did like. Man, uh, two championship in three years. I'm pretty sure he went back to that conversation and said, yeah, coach is coach. I'll just be over there building hotel chains. Um, okay, so, but you said you, you made the switch after your college career, but again, my very, very strong research tells me that you actually wrote letters to NHL teams at a young age. So how was, how many letters did you write? And what was that like? I, I'm getting a little scared. How much longer do we have here, Duffer? Uh, that's why I'm just getting the good stuff out. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> I don't want to scare you with how much longer we have because I'm gonna go it, it, it kind of rhymes with infinity. I'm going to go through the family after this, Marty, and it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> uh, I wrote to every NHL team, Marty. I, every team loved it. I mean, and it was... And I can remember the excitement of going to the mailbox uh, and seeing an NHL logo on an envelope was, was one of the coolest things. How and old were you? Envelope, you don't know what they sent you. A lot of them sent, sent decals, uh, thank yous, decals, patches uh, at the time were big. Mm -hmm. um, just simple stuff. Um, and I just, I, I collected it. I, I actually have an old cigar box that I have that's, that I painted Buffalo Sabre blue. And I put the Sabre decal on the box and I actually have it in Buffalo and I used it to, to save event tickets that I went to concert tickets. Like as a, as a kid, my first concert, believe it or not, was Elvis Presley. That ticket stub is in that box um, and, and various kiss concerts later in the eighties and things like that. But I still have that box with the Sabre uh, sticker on it from that day. So the Sabre, so how old were you when that, that you sent all these letters? probably 11 to 12 years old, 13 at most. And, and Buffalo responded because you ended up at, with a sticker from the Sabres. They did. They had, I had multiple stickers from the Sabres. I was excited when I got them. And, uh, and I, and I put that one on, I painted that cigar box blue and, and put it on there. That's awesome. I was different. I only wrote to one team. It was Buffalo. And I can tell you when I saw Perot's autograph picture that came back to me, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. I remember the first time I saw him play in Chicago stadium and uh, I didn't know the Buffalo Sabres or, 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 you know, their players at all. And, and boy, I remember the first period, what an impression he was dynamic. Yeah. First time I saw him was at Maple Leaf gardens and you know, you're comparing it to what you've been seeing on hockey cards and things like that. And then all of a sudden, when you're close enough to see the French connection and they've all got facial hair, which they didn't have on their hockey cards and the hair is longer. <laughs> and you're just like, 
wait a minute, are these the guys that I even know? So yeah, it's a pretty cool experience. Uh, since you brought it up, and we, we did do this on social media a while back, you mentioned the Elvis concert. So what do you remember, like how old were you and what do you remember about Elvis at Chicago Stadium? Well, it was 77 and I was 10 years old. So uh, I remember the excitement of uh, my parents getting tickets. I had Elvis Presley posters in, in my room, I think at the time, or I don't know why I even liked him. I just liked him for some reason. And I wasn't, I was never a big music guy, but I did like, uh, I did like Elvis for some reason. And uh, I asked for tickets. They got him. I had no idea how, who, you know, the, how big Elvis Presley was. I was 10 years old, but they got tickets. My parents did. So the whole family came, we were at the opposite end of the Chicago stadium. I do remember that. And uh, I just remember the Elvis has left the building after, um, which is, uh, but it was, I, I mean, the images I remember very, very well of that, his white so, costume and the place going absolutely berserk for him. Well, old buildings like that, Donnie, I mean, here in Buffalo, we had the odd for the longest time. I mean, I grew up in Quebec city with the Colse, right? It was like a very intimate older building. Did it make a difference that, you know, for concerts and for hockey games, was was that something that you remember from your youth? Like saying, man, the Chicago Stadium, that was that was such a cool place to go and, and watch either an event or a hockey game or whatever. Yeah, the hockey games, it, it might be just my perception, Marty, but they were louder than the concerts even. Um, and what I mean by that, I remember multiple times. I remember just I'd be standing during the anthem obviously you stand up and we had six seats right in a row. So to the right of me and the left of me is either a brother or sister. And, and I remember the first time trying to talk to them and speak to them during the anthem. And it was surreal because you could see their mouth moving, but you could hear nothing coming out, just the noise of the building. So it, it really was as if they're faking that they're actually speaking with any volume, but their lips are, are, are moving. It, it was amazing to, that was the first time I ever saw that where it was so loud. You literally, someone 12 inches away from you, you could not hear their voice at all. Yet their lips were moving. Uh, and that was the old, that was how loud that stadium was. It was yeah. amazing place as, as you guys know. So did you at some point then get down to event level and technically lower and make that walk up the stairs to the never ice surface. That. I never, never did it. I know, no. And that, uh, that would have been something cherished. Um, didn't do that one. Marty did. No, I didn't. I, when I no. got into the league, yeah, Chicago stadium wasn't there anymore. So I didn't, I did experience the Montreal forum, uh, yeah. the odd, uh, you know, a few rings, but I did not experience Chicago stadium. I wish I would have, um, just the national anthem, right. And the, the yeah. fan, like, as you pointed out, they would just cheer their hearts out. It was pretty uh, amazing. Um, okay. So you talk about music concerts. Um, do you play an instrument? Have you ever played an instrument? Is that something that you, uh, that you did as a kid? Uh, you might have to refresh my memory, Marty. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I I'm just saying, like, I don't want to give up all the information I've got on you, but you mentioned a band kiss 
And I just want to make sure oh, that no. we let people know you were a huge Kiss fan, right, as so I'm, I'm being gonna, told. I'm and we, start, we might also have access to pictures, so you might I'm want to answer this correctly. Confessions, just to maybe stem the tide here. Yeah, we had Kiss concerts, Marty. We, they were fake Kiss concerts. We spit ketchup all over the place. Uh, okay. Now, I did not know that. So <laughs> you went, uh, you you led yourself into that road where we'll ask follow-up questions for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It's, we had we had lots of uh, fake concerts. We, nobody in our family was musically inclined. I, I, actually, I apologize. My youngest brother uh, was the closest thing to it. But we, we, we would have... Uh, yeah, we had a lot of idle time, so as kids, as, as all kids do, so we got creative. What role yeah. did Cammy play in the in the band? I can't remember. Probably <laughs> she was probably uh, Peter Chris. Yeah, remember? Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't even remember those too too much. I just the specifics <laughs> of it. I just remember the general man. We put a lot of time and effort into costumes and mm -hmm. uh, performances. And we only perform for ourselves to, to get ourselves, you know, to get the laugh or enjoyment out of it ourselves. Well, I will, I'll embarrass myself to a certain level as well. My first year in Rochester with the Americans, me and three of my buddies, uh, uh, three other French guys, we were four guys from Quebec at the time. We all showed up at the Halloween party dressed up as Kiss, like the full out hair and makeup and the tights and the boots and we went all out. So I don't know what it was with Kiss, but it just seemed to be a fun uh, costume and a fun like character to uh, to show up as. I, I, I don't know. Wow. Yeah, they, they were genius marketers because I don't know that their music was as it certainly wasn't as great as their show. And they were the first probably one of the first big, at least in my era, the marketing was amazing for that. Band. Yeah. Yep. Still exists today. I mean, yeah. I went and saw him in Buffalo two years ago. Oh, did you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Bank. What did you think? It was phenomenal. The show was better than the music? The show and the fans <laughs> and the building. It was it was awesome. The yeah, people, it was it was people from that era. It was it was it felt great. It was uh, you know, it's it's an era. It, yeah. it was an era of time and it's still uh, you know, the, they go perform and you still jump back into that era for a night. It's it's fun. Yeah, the pyro is pretty intense and it's, uh, you know, it's it's kind of neat to actually feel it because you, you do feel the heat. Um, you said something last year that was, again, honest and like really funny at the same time when you got your first win and you were talking about how even your dad had steered clear of texting you and you wondered if he'd stop following because it took a while to get that first win. Um but then you were glad to hear from him after you finally got the win. What, what talk to me about like the relationship with him and, and what it's been like since, since you got this job to be the full-time head coach and, and how often you still interact. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk like, like, like most close families all the time, consistently, if not calling lots of texting, thankfully that's uh, that we have that we use that very, very often. Um, He's got a, a really good sense of humor, sometimes a dry sense of humor, but he's a quiet guy, he never, you know, smiled much. He ran his own business. He, you know, my grandfather started it. He, my dad loved baseball. He was passionate about baseball as a kid growing up. Um, and then uh, didn't get to follow that dream, went to work, 
you know, I think at 20 years old to start a beer distributorship with my grandfather in Chicago. And, and I watched him work, you know, if the alarms went off at three in the morning, he was up going to fix them. Any problem that happened, he had to, you know, he had that responsibility. And, and uh, so he, and he had six of us as kids. So he had a lot of responsibility uh, as my mom did and, and they took things serious, but he had a great sense of humor. And, and as a, as a note, I'll give you this one. So I'll always enjoy seeing his texts after the games. And uh, we beat Tampa the other, you know, whatever it was a couple of weeks ago. And I get a ton of texts. Uh, by the time I pick up my phone, there's, there's many, many texts from friends. And I scroll down to his because I know it's going to be good. And all it says, it doesn't say good win or great job or anything. Nothing of that. It says, do we get a day with the cup? Question mark. And that was it. And I, and, and I just started laughing, you know, and uh, I told our staff that they had a great laugh, but it's just simple, funny humor like that. Uh, that's, that's great. And uh, it's, it, it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. That's great. So you get the text. Like I remember my dad would either text me when things were Really good or really bad? Like he would just kind of let me do my thing. Is that the same thing? Like you will, or will you get a text after every game? Well, I got one last night. I can't remember it, but it was also, you, you know, to the point. It's really to the point, but good. Uh, and, and uh, you know, sometimes there's a little humor in it, but, you know, I think last night's there was some reality in it uh, as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's fun to get them. Uh, it's fun to get texts from anybody and everybody, but those I look forward to definitely. But so it's not, he's not too critical, uh, yeah. I guess, or too harsh, I should say. Uh, he'll tell it like it is, which is, which is great. Uh, I mean, we all see, we all see certain things when they don't go well. And, you know, we all have uh, thoughts on that. Donnie, I usually do a little this or that. And I figured maybe it'd be time to just uh, get a few quick uh, one-timers, this or that question for you and get to know you a little bit more. So you talked about your buddy that has a big fishing camp in uh, Alaska. So this or that, golf or fish in the summertime? Fish. 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 Duffer, what uh, what are you, golf or fish, Duffer? Uh, I like both, but I do golf more. So I have to go with that. Yeah, I say golf too. My dad used to always want to take us fishing and I was like, eh. Um, okay. How about this? You like summer or winter better, Donnie, this or that? Uh, winter. Winter? Duffer? Uh, fall. Oh, obviously you pick a season I did not have on the question. Uh, that's I fine. Switched, I switched to, uh, what Duffer said. Yeah. Fall. Okay. <laughs> fall is elite that's an option. I'm going to fall. Okay. We have a good friend, Jeremy White here. He says fall is elite. So yes. Um, <laughs> glasses or contacts because i i know you guys both wear glasses but i duffer i think you have contacts at time donnie I, i don't think i've ever seen you without your glasses so glasses or contacts this or that i tried contacts so glasses yeah so contacts don't work they don't no, most no. of the, these i have to use pretty much for reading my okay. distance is distance is okay but when i put the contacts on it blurs the distance duffer contacts or glasses contacts when on air with you because i have to somehow stay in the same ballpark as you you know with the appearance and uh you know (laughs) but but donnie's making me revisit glasses now i had the blue frames before donnie came to town but donnie then one up me with a better looking set of blue frames so 
I'm probably going to gravitate back to glasses. Yeah, I, I can't take credit for those. Plenty of people have complimented on those, but somebody at this eye doctor picked those out for me. They said, these are perfect for you, coach. And they ordered them. I said, okay, I'll do it. And I have uh, to say, yeah. they, they, they look good. They, um, I like the blue frames on you, Duffer and Donnie. They look good also. Okay, how about this? Under eight hours of sleep a night or over eight hours of sleep a night? And I know what Duffer's answer is, but Donnie, I don't know about you, this or that. No, I, more than eight is too many, um, but I need seven. I okay. Need seven. Yeah, I, I was going to say seven, but the Duffer, I know it's like four. It's, yeah, it's under eight in a week, Marty. No. <laughs> And that last but not least, and this will be interesting for hockey development, Canadian juniors or U.S. colleges? Donnie, you're a big development guy. You've seen it all. So Canadian juniors or U.S. colleges, this or that? You, you, uh, college for me, extend yep. your development time. Okay. College for me too. Not yeah, and I, I play Canadian juniors and I think I'm, I, I can see it now, the benefits of, of playing college and, going to, to USHL or North American Hockey League and then college and, and mature and be able to handle it. So anyway, those are all the this or that I got. So I'm going to do my uh, David Letterman and throw my piece of paper out like this, like it's a top 10. So. And Donnie, great news. We're out of time. You have maxed out and set us on our way on the initial instigators overtime. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you, guys. A great morning. I appreciate it. And uh, all the best. We'll see you soon. Wow. Marty, how good was Don Granato? <laughs> now, I, the, it's funny because he's 10 years older than I am, but we did the same thing as kids. Like, and the, 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 the interaction with his father and, and the work ethic from his father that passed on to him and his family, and just amazing. Um, great stories and a lot of fun. And uh, I feel like I'd like to have a beer with him and talk even some more. So that's, that's how cool it was. And the respect and admiration and absolute joy that he got out of being part of a big family like yeah. the learning like everything in his life you know is so family driven but it's stuff that just you learn inherently because of that group you know you didn't seek anything else outside of that family dynamic because it had it all and you're not knowing it at the time you're just absorbing it and being a part of it and being like inclusive. Like, it's just, it's amazing to hear him talk about the importance and, of family. Now, sorry, go ahead. No, I never realized. And now I'm listening to what he said, how I got competitive by just playing with my brother. It was only my brother and I, but we played Sega Genesis. We played mini hockey. We played out in the street, played baseball. We played many different sports. I always wanted to beat them. And I didn't yeah. want to just beat him. I wanted to put him through the wall. And and then like I just got so competitive. Now I'll play, you know, Monopoly with you, Duffer, and I want to win everything. Like that's how competitive I am. But it stems from me and my brother. And that's what Donnie was saying. Like the the that how competitive they got was from the games in the basement and all of that. That that's yeah. how they developed that sense. It's amazing. It was like me playing cribbage with my grandmother. Oh. I always wanted to win, oh, <laughs> but, but, and if but I could she, steal she a, knew how to beat me. So <laughs> if you could steal a point or two off her hand and she made a mistake, how good would that feel? <laughs> that was great. Okay. We are almost out of time, which is kind of strange to say on a show that has no time limits, but Hey, we're creatures of habit. We're going to do three stars every week. Eh, sometimes we might 
throw in three non-stars as well. But we're trying to stay positive in the initial episode of Instigators Overtime. So, Marty, uh, are we going reverse, three, two, one, or one, two, three? And where do you want to start? Okay, I'm going to go three, two, one. Okay, so I'm going to say number three, la troisième étoile, the third star. Um, I'm going to give it to the Seattle Kraken's white away jersey. I love them. I think they're amazing. I wish... Again, white was a home jersey, but let's not talk about it. Buffalo's doing the white hot uh, Friday at times this year. It's going to be fantastic, but that jersey is out of the park. It's fantastic. Do you want me to go two and one and then you go? Uh, no, I'm going to do three. Okay. My third is uh, for a team that, for all the wrong reasons, has garnered so much attention <clears throat> of late in Chicago. Uh, but I will always say that the one that got away for me from the Sabres is Brandon Hagel. All this kid has done is personify what the dream is all about. And just hearing Don Granado, I think of a guy like Brandon Hagel, 159th in 2016, yeah. for whatever reason, not retained contractually by Buffalo, goes back in, Chicago takes him, and he's done nothing but climb the ladder to the point now where they plug and play him on the top line. He is a, he is absolutely the epitome of what a hockey player can and should be. Love him. Well, go with your second star now. Well, the, sec the second is very comparable because he was taken 123rd in 2015. And to me, I'm still dumbfounded that a team would move off of him. Shame on Arizona. Congratulations, Vancouver. Connor Garland, 10 <laughs> points in his first 10 games. The guy, again, is everything I want in a player. Good old Christmas Garland as the Christmas season approaches very rapidly. Um, yes, he's done an amazing job this year. My second star I'm giving it to Freddie Anderson of the Carolina Hurricanes. With the, one of the best story, leaving Toronto as a free agent, going to Carolina. His numbers are unbelievable. Still unbeaten as we're recording this. Um, fantastic. And for a guy that almost was, was pushed out of town in, in, in Toronto because of the playoffs failure and all that, we realized eh, it wasn't the goalie. As I said many times, I love Freddie Anderson, the way he plays. It was much, much more about the team, and he's showing it in Carolina right now. La Premier Etoile, Marty, the first star. First star is Alexander the Great, Alex Ovechkin, who has started the season on fire with nine goals early on leading the way. Um, a guy that we weren't sure if he was going to start game one because he had the injury in preseason, and he's showing that, oh, look out, Brett Hall, I'm coming for you. Oh, look, look out, uh, you know, Yaramir Yager and Gordiao and probably Wayne Gretzky at some point in the next five years. So there's my first star, Alex Ovechkin. And I'm going deep back in the draft in 2015, 148th overall, and he's not Trevor Zegris, of course, but he is a duck, and he's incredibly mighty to start this year, Troy Terry only seemingly known for shootout skills as he broached the NHL. Yeah. He's finally figured it all out. He's bringing veteran players along with him. A nine game point streak as we record this seven goals in the midst of that. And he is simply showing how dynamic he can be and let it be a lesson in patience that sometimes it does pay he, off. He actually, he's 0 for 1 in shootouts this year, Duffer, so he's terrible this year. And uh, But okay, and, and listen, I know we do our three stars, but I also think that more important than any stars, um, we have to command and be so uh, unbelievably... Um, I want to say appreciative, but it's just a, the courageous nature of Cal Beach. His interview with Rick Wested, um, his story, everything that he's gone through for not just the past 
one, two, three, four years, 11 years, people. Remember that this sexual abuse took place in 2010. Uh, and now he's speaking out. Um, and uh, this has been amazing. So to Kyle Beach, I think more than any other stars we have, uh, he's been the, uh, the, 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 the biggest of the stars lately. And uh, that's for sure. Courage in all caps. And that does not even begin to describe what Kyle Beach is, who he is, and how much he will impact so many people moving forward. Well said, Marty. Everyone, thank you for being with us for the inaugural Instigators Overtime. We'll see you soon.